In the name of the loving, life-giving, and liberating God who is Blessed Trinity. Amen. You may be seated. Sometimes it is all too easy to put our hopes in heaven, in a future righting of wrongs, in a future release from suffering, in a future entrance into joy. And I get it. Sometimes life is hard. And it seems like it may never get any better. Sometimes it seems like the only way to protect our hope is to place it in a future which we can't, which we imagine can't be touched by this reality. But Jesus showed us in his life and ministry that our hope is not only in the future, but also in the here and now. If you remember back to when we started Mark, Jesus made a declaration when he returned from the temptation in the wilderness. He said, the time is now, the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn around and believe in the good news. The kingdom of God was not delayed until Jesus' death and resurrection. It's not even delayed until our own death, waiting for us in heaven, though it is there also. The kingdom of God, the reign of God, has already begun. You can see it anywhere where love is allowed to rule, anywhere where we remain open to the Spirit of God. There, the kingdom of God has come. And this is what we find throughout Jesus' ministry, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into our here and now. Today we read two stories that Mark spliced together. When Mark does this, it's called colloquially a Markin sandwich. He often uses this technique where he starts one story, interrupts it with a second story, and then finishes the first story. When Mark does this, he's deliberately telling us that the two stories are interrelated and asking us to consider them together. So what do our two stories today have to do with the kingdom of God? Both of these stories are about people who have come to the end of the line in terms of hope. We start this section by meeting Jairus, a synagogue leader whose little daughter is near death. As a synagogue leader, he would have been highly respected in his community. A synagogue leader is like a lay leader, or is a lay leader, much like our vergers or our altar guild. The synagogue leaders are concerned with the things of the synagogue and in charge of making sure everything is organized and ready for the Sabbath. We can presume that this father, if his daughter is near death, has done everything he can to help her be well again. He has likely called in doctors, called in all his favors, exhausted all avenues, and now he comes and begs at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus wordlessly follows him. But as they are on their way, they're interrupted by this unnamed woman, a woman who, having been sick for 12 years, having suffered under doctors, having spent everything that she had, having grown worse rather than better, 
having heard of Jesus and having come up behind him, she touched his cloak. That is exactly how the Greek reads for this passage, a long string of past experiences of things being done to this woman ended by her singular action. She reached out and she touched his cloak. She had done all that she knew how in those 12 years to be healed, and now she has come to Jesus as her final hope. If these final gambits do not pay off for these two people, then their hope can only be in the hereafter. Jairus' daughter will be dead, and the woman will continue to suffer from her disease until her own death. And the reality is that many of us find ourselves in their places, and no relief comes. Our loved ones die, our sicknesses do not always leave us. They had Jesus there in the flesh to heal them. But Jesus has now ascended, and we feel alone. We don't know why Jesus doesn't heal all the ills in the world when clearly it is God's will to bring health and wholeness. And I'll repeat that, it is God's will to bring health and wholeness. So we don't know why God doesn't just fix things, but we do know that in the absence of healing, that never means that God is absent. It doesn't mean that your faith wasn't enough. It doesn't mean that God wants or plans for you to suffer. Suffering is not of God. God can bring good out of what was meant for bad, and you may find meaning in the midst of your suffering, but that is for you to discern alone with God. Sometimes suffering just hurts, and no one can tell us why. But the good news that Jesus proclaims is this. God never leaves us. We may feel alone, but absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we can see this in our passage today. Two very different people approach Jesus, and neither one is turned away. A man who is an upstanding part of his community, trusted with the care of the synagogue, who comes to Jesus boldly and in public to ask for the healing of another, and a woman who has lost all her money trying to take care of herself, who may have lost a husband since her condition would not allow her to bear children, who had no one to advocate for her and felt assured that Jesus would have no time for her troubles. Both approach Jesus in the way that they are able, one publicly and one secretly. And Jesus loves them both, no more or no less than any one of us. The kingdom of God is this. Jesus, with his arms outstretched, ready to welcome any who come to him. 
And Jesus takes extra care to make sure that the woman knows that she is accepted. In her story, when Jesus called out, who touched me? Our hearts might clench in fear like the woman's, thinking that she is being called to task. But that is not Jesus' aim. When the woman reveals herself, Jesus looks at her and calls her daughter. She is the only person in all of the Gospels that Jesus calls daughter. She is the only one he addresses in this intimate way. And I think it's precisely because of how she approached him. She was sure of his power, but she approached him in secret because she was not sure that she was worthy of attention. And with this single word, daughter, Jesus tells her that her worth is infinite. And that is true of all of us. Your worth is not determined by how much you have or don't have, by how much you do or don't do, whether you raised your kids well or poorly, whether you are or are not a burden to your family. God does not change God's mind about you, whether you snap at someone or if you're an all-around good person who opens your home to anyone in need. There is no scale to weight your goodness versus your mistakes. You are loved. And that is true of every person on this planet. We are loved, and nothing will make God love any of us any less or any more. That is the kingdom of God. So Jesus names this unnamed woman daughter. He gives her a place in the kingdom of God. When she has been used to being unknown, or known only by her illness, Jairus has a name, both in the story itself and in his community. He is known and loved. So there is no need for Jesus to make a space for him. But still, he cares for Jairus as fully as he cares for the woman he names daughter. The fact that Jairus' daughter dies before Jesus arrives is not meant to take Jairus down a peg. It's not meant to set up any hierarchy between Jairus and the woman met along the way. To me, the fact that his daughter dies is simply a consequence of Jesus being embodied. God chose to be tied to a particular time and a particular place in the person of Jesus. And when you are a human restricted by time, there are only so many things you can do at once. And it feels horribly inefficient to us. If the kingdom of God is meant to bring us wholeness, why usher in that kingdom in Jesus, in a single human, in a single location? I think that the reason for this inefficiency has everything to do with love. It is why the kingdom of God continues to spread through us, imperfect and inefficient as we are. Love is particular. It exists in personal relationships. 
I can say that I love all my neighbors, but there is something infinitely more real about saying I love a particular neighbor. Jesus knows this. It's why so much of his ministry is marked by personal encounters. It's why he will not let the unnamed woman go without speaking to her personally. It's why he doesn't leave when Jairus's daughter is pronounced dead and the crowd believes all hope is lost. Because God never leaves us. Because God always loves us. Because hope never dies in the hands of God. So let's pattern our lives after the one who said, follow me. Let's build as many relationships as we can, because the kingdom of God, that wholeness that we long for, is found in our relationships. It's found in the love that we share. So go love somebody and bring the kingdom of God one step closer. Amen.